Tonight we're jumping back in our series titled The Teachings of Jesus. And, and over the past few weeks we have been learning, we've been sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning how to pray, how, how to converse, how to dialogue with the God of the universe who happens to be our Father. And so I'm excited to continue studying uh, Jesus's model of prayer tonight. So let's go ahead and read our passage, pray and dig in. Um, Julia, could you read this passage for us? And everybody get your papers out and be following along. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would grant us spiritual wisdom and discernment, that you would help us approve what is excellent, true, and beautiful, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, my mere words cannot affect the sanctification and salvation of our, these souls. And so, Lord, I just pray now, Lord, that you'd be with us, that you would strengthen us, that you would have mercy upon us. Lord, make this message powerful. Let it be transformative for ourselves and, and for the students. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to begin, I want to remind us that, that Jesus says, when we look at the passage, if you look at verse 1, he says, pray like this. And again, uh, he's not giving us some formula. Uh, he's not saying these are the only words you can pray, but rather he's giving us a practical guide on what faithful prayer looks like as his disciples. And also by way of reminder, note that Jesus begins the prayer by saying, our Father, right? Our Father in heaven. In other words, the first and most basic principle of prayer is that as Jesus' disciples, when we pray, we are addressing God, our loving and devoted and protective Father. That's the first step of prayer, calling God your dad. That's the first step. And after addressing God as our father, Jesus, then he turns to make these three petitions, three requests. And go ahead and look there with me real quick, starting at 6-9. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And remember, we noted that by its very nature, when we make a request, when we make a petition, it's because we want something. Like when I prayed and petitioned God this week, all week, to open your eyes to behold the glory of his son Jesus, it's because that's what I really want. <laughs> I really desire you to experience a transformed life in Christ. Therefore, when Jesus makes these three petitions, it's because that's what he wants. That's what he desires with his whole heart. Before he gets to safe travels, before he even mentions his daily needs, the first priority of Jesus' heart is God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. And so in this way, then Jesus teaches us, his disciples, to make these petitions the, the highest priority of our lives, even higher than our own physical well-being. And as we discussed two weeks ago, in the first petition, Jesus prays, hallowed be your name. In other words, Jesus is praying, Father, I want your name. That is, I want your reputation, your character, your resume, all that you are, all that you have done to be kept holy, to be held in honor and esteem. I want the world to acknowledge you as the supreme and divine creator of the universe so that they bow, so that they bow in worship of your name. Let it be so, Father. 
That's, that's the first petition. But while the fir uh, first petition focuses on treating God as God, uh, the second petition puts our attention on treating God as our king. Look at the passage with me. Jesus prays, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Uh, when I was about 14 years old, I was a freshman in high school, and uh, my friends and I, we left school one day just walking, uh, and basically we were looking for trouble. And at that time, we were into gangbanging. I don't know if you guys know what that is out here. Uh, and so we started walking over to a part of the city typically occupied by a rival gang. And as we got deeper into the neighborhood, we, we found a park and we just started to hang out and kind of post up, make our presence known. And not long after being there, we saw this car approach, uh, a house across the street and then park. And, and then the next thing you know, a, a grown adult Hispanic man with the look of I will kill you in his face, jumped out of the car yelling like something like, get off my block. My block. And of course, we ran. We were out of there. We darted. We got away, thankfully. Uh, but I bring that story up because when we hear the word kingdom uh, in this passage, we might imagine like this geographical location, right? A, a territory with boundaries governed by some authority, like that man said, my block. Uh, in other words, when we hear the word kingdom, we think place and location. But that's not the idea in this prayer. That's not what's being said. Rather, instead of kingdom re referring to something that's uh, bound by a location, it refers to an activity, to an activity. That is the act of ruling, the act of exercising authority as a king. And so when Jesus prays, Father, let your kingdom come, he's petitioning God to extend and to establish his authority on earth. He's saying, Father, bring the world under your authority. Uh, uh, bring people to obey all your commands and rules. And therefore, in this second petition, Jesus teaches us that his disciples are to be a people who long for others to obey and submit to God as their king so that when he says love your enemies they don't hold grudges and hate in their hearts when he says tell the truth they don't lie when he says flee and run from sexual sin they don't watch pornography or sleep with their boyfriends or girlfriends and when he says work hard at everything you do they don't procrastinate but they labor with diligence and, and as his people, as his disciples, they yield to God and obey his rules, his kingdom comes. His reign and rule, it gets extended and farther and deeper into the world with every knee that bows and acknowledges him as king. But, but here's the problem. Who really wants to obey God? Who really wants to obey God? Who really wants to follow his commands? Don't they just suck all the fun and exciting parts out of life? I mean, isn't obeying rules boring and tedious and lifeless? How could Jesus pray and actually desire your kingdom come? Who wants to submit to someone else? Well, the answer all comes down to Jesus's vision of the good life, of the good life. And when I say the, the good life, I'm talking about what Jesus believed would make him most happy. 
Like what he felt in his core would bring about his greatest joy and satisfaction. And the answer is Jesus truly believed that obeying his father in heaven would make him supremely happy. He was convinced in his soul that was the best life he could ever live. And so therefore he gladly submitted to God's ways and he wanted and he prayed and he desired all to come under his father's authority as well. But if we're honest, for most of us, we don't agree with Jesus. That's not our vision of the good life. We don't believe that obedience to God is the pathway to everything good and true and beautiful. So if that's not our vision of the good life, what is? What is? Honestly, what do we believe will make us most happy? And I'm telling you, how you answer that question drives everything in your life. All of your desires and actions are related to your vision of the good life. We've seen how this works. Remember Cohen's testimony last week? Don't you remember his vision of the good life? He thought having cool friends, dating the right girl, making money, and killing it as a soccer player would make him happy. <laughs> that was his vision. And it drove him to pursue all those things only to be disappointed at the end because they didn't do the trick. <laughs> so what's your vision? And more importantly, where did you get it? Because you know the world, it, it's full of visions of the good life that oppose and compete against Jesus's vision. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, this past week, I did some cultural research, some cultural analysis. I looked up uh, the top songs played on Spotify right now, and I was just asking one simple question. As I analyzed their lyrics and uh, listened to the song, what's their vision of the good life? So from the top song, which was played over 50 million times just this past week, just on Spotify, I found out some key, key ingredients uh, to a happy life. Um, so you guys should listen closely. According to the beacons of wisdom of Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber, to have a good life, I need to get drunk, wake up wasted, and really important, I need to have this romantic obsession, this romantic interest that I can't live without. And although I keep failing to change, I really need her to stay. I really do. I need her. In other words, according to their song, the best life is when you have a thrilling, drama-filled, volatile, romantic relationship with the person you're worried about losing. But my question was, is it true? Is that really the most fulfilling life? Being in an insecure, unstable, romantic relationship with a person who's likely to leave you because you won't change. Is that really the good life? The fourth most popular song focused on romantic relationships too. I mean, it was a really catchy tune. I mean, Ed Sheeran, he knows how to do it. Uh, Ed Sheeran, he taught me and he taught us, if you listen to the song, that the key to a satisfying life is to have this bad habit, to have this bad habit. I actually had bad habits, but one of them is to lose self-control. To lose self-control when you're in a room with a romantic obsession or interest. Listen to these lyrics. Every time you come around, 
You know I can't say no. Every time the sun goes down, I let you take control. My bad habits lead to late nights ending alone, conversations with a stranger I barely know, swearing this will be the last, but it probably won't. won't. I got nothing left to lose or use or do. My bad habits lead to you. And all the while implied there is casual sexual hookups. But is it true? Is having casual sexual hookups with even a stranger the path to joy and purpose and meaning? <laughs> no! Why? You know what? Because Ed didn't mention a couple things on his song. He didn't mention that this bad habit doesn't just lead to fun, erotic nights. It leads to crying teenage girls as they look at a positive pregnancy test in horror. It leads to a trip to Planned Parenthood to abort an innocent baby. It leads to kids having deadbeat dads who abandon them. It leads to STDs and emotional heartbreak. But Ed didn't mention all that, did he? So this song was played over three million times yesterday. As it promotes and communicates a version of the good life that is glamorizing a habit that leads to sorrow and tears and tragedy. And know this, musicians are not the only ones promoting a vision of the good life. In fact, that's what marketing is all about. Slogans and advertisements, they're designed they're to convince you that a product will make you happy. That their product will usher you into the good life. For you gamers out there, uh, take PlayStation 5's global marketing campaign, for example. Its slogan is this, play has no limits. And one of their commercials, you'll see uh, a young woman walking through this like desolate and empty cave. And a voiceover says, welcome to a world where you can feel more. And so let's ask the question. What's their vision of the good life? What are they saying will make us happy? Well, it's pretty simple. Video games. Video games, uh, a, a virtual world is the only place where you can satisfy your desire for more, to feel more. In other words, it's an endless, uh, a place of endless, unlimited excitement and ecstasy. But I don't know about you, but is that true? Play does have limits. In the beginning, the game is exciting and super fun, but over time it gets boring like everything else. So is it true? Is a virtual, unreal, computer-generated world the only place where you can feel more? More than my wedding day? More than when my sons were born? More than when I graduated college? More than when I baptized my sister into the death and resurrection of Jesus? Really? A fake world is better. And what I'm trying to show you all from these examples, and there's so many we could go through, is that music shows the tech, food, car, drug, and every other industry. They all have a profound ability uh, on your inf to influence your vision of the good life. They're not neutral. They're shaping you. And again, your vision, what you believe will make you happy, will determine what you want. 
and what you desire, and therefore it will, it will determine what you strive after. Where the direction of your life is going. And so, brothers and sisters, what's your vision of the good life? What do you believe will make you most happy, truly? And, and even deeper, who is shaping it? Where are you getting it from? Uh, when I first became a Christian at 18 years old, God's rules, they were like vegetables, you know, to me. They, you know, they were a duty, not a delight. I, I tried to obey them because that's what I was supposed to do. And God was so good. I was like, I guess I'll obey these rules. You know, I kind of want God. But as I read the Bible, I would come across passages like in Psalm 19, where it says something like God's rules, his commands, his precepts, his statutes. They're more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. His rules are sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And, and I would come across passages like this that spoke about God's rules so affectionately, so passionately. I just couldn't grasp how. How could he love God's rules like that? But after 11 years of following Jesus uh, and seeking to obey my father in heaven, I, I understand now. I get it. I love God's law. I love God's rules. I love his commands. You know why? Because they always lead me to life and goodness. Think about it. Let me just give you an example. Let's look at one of God's rules. Like he commands me to remain faithful to my wife. To not even look at another woman with lustful intent. That's God's command. Now the world would see that as a huge limitation. Just listen to Ed, right? He'll tell you. The real fun and greatness of life comes from sexual hookups, right? So according to them, I'm missing out. But I disagree. Following this command has only brought wholeness and peace to my life. I have a clean conscience. I don't walk around feeling guilty or dirty. I have a healthy marriage. My wife and I deeply love and trust and enjoying each other. Uh, you see my son's here probably tonight. Uh, remaining faithful to my wife creates a safe and secure environment to raise my boys with the love they need. We have a joyful and close family. But what would I have if I indulged in casual hookups? What would I have? What would I have if I cheated on my wife? No real love, no real commitment, no friendship, uh, just meaningless and fleeting moments. And this is just one example. There are so many others where I could show you how when I obey God's commands, it brings maturity and wholeness and blessing into my life. And I got a whole rap sheet of disobedience and how it led to sorrow. So long. And what I'm trying to say is that God's way is better. It's better. Take any command he gives. Take any command he gives and imagine your life if you wholeheartedly obeyed it. And then ask yourself, would your life be better or worse? If you forgave and prayed for your enemies, better or worse? If you didn't have sex before marriage uh, or, or you abstained from it, even after you're doing it, better or worse? 
If you didn't get drunk and high, if you read your Bible, prayed and met with the God of the universe alone, if you worked hard on everything you did, if you stopped lying and told the truth, if you were humble and kind toward others, if you stopped gossiping and putting other people down, if you really followed Jesus, like if you really renounced everything and became his disciple, better or worse? Better. Better. Don't you see? God's commands give you life. <laughs> they, they literally teach us to walk in a way that bring about our greatest joy. Listen, the good life, the best life is living in a loving relationship with our father under his wise and good authority. And that's why Jesus can pray. That's why we can pray. Your kingdom come. Let's pray. Father, there, it is so hard to escape or, or resist the shiny, alluring visions of the good life offered to us in this world. But I pray, Father, that you would give us discernment. You would help us see the lies. I pray that you would help us see how disobedience to you only brings about tragedy and sorrow hopelessness and despair. Father, teach us how your rules are good and true and beautiful. And we follow you. We live in your blessing. And so, Father, I just pray that for the students now. Help them discern. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.